Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Alex McClafferty, a full-time coach for founders of SaaS and productized service companies. Back in 2013, Alex co-founded WP Curve, the premium WordPress support business that grew to over a million dollars in annual recurring revenue before selling the company to GoDaddy in 2016. Originally from Australia, Alex grew up in a small town and made his way to university where he began hustling and trying out different career paths. This led him to working at a train station, in construction, and even as a financial planner at the time of the last economic meltdown. After losing his job at finance, Alex landed at a call center where he built his chops at direct selling and cold calling before moving up to managing a team there. It wasn't until Alex found himself moving to the US, waiting on his visa paperwork to clear up before he could officially start working a normal job, that he got connected to Dan Norris, who'd become his partner in growing WP Curve for the years to come. In this episode, Alex and I talk about how he and his business partner identified a clear need in the marketplace for WordPress support and made it affordable with a disruptive business model featuring a flat monthly fee for unlimited access to WordPress developers that can help with small jobs on your website. We cover how they validated their business idea, quickly acquired their first customers, and began scaling through building an engaged community around their business. We explore the various marketing strategies they deployed in order to scale their revenue to over a million dollars in annual recurring revenue, landing them on the radar as a hot acquisition target for GoDaddy. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Alex McClafferty. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, Ryan? Great to be here, man. Hey, I'm excited to talk with you. Uh, it's been a it's been a while in the making. I know we've got some mutual friends as well. Um, and you know, before we get into all of the kick-ass things you've done from building and selling WP Curve to what you're doing today with your new company, Productize, um, I do want to go back and start from the beginning. Beginning, rather. Um, so, where are you originally from? Originally from Australia, uh, a town about an hour southwest of Sydney called Camden. Wow, how many people live in that town? Is it big, small? Maybe, I think it's like 40,000 now, but it's one of those like old school towns that you go through 10 years after you've last been there and not much really changes. This sounds a lot like my hometown. <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from here in California, uh, but, uh, you know, kind of a small cow town, very agricultural driven, rural. Um, sounds familiar. Same deal. Same deal. <laughs> So uh, from doing a little bit of poking around before our conversation here, um, it looks like, you know, maybe during university years, you tried out a lot of different career paths, working at um, a train station as a financial planner in construction, a call center, um, lots of different kinds of jobs. Um, Were these at the time jobs that were kind of just paying the bills or were you more or less like on the hunt for what you wanted to do with your career at this time? I was always hustling, man. I was always like probably six or 12 months ahead of myself trying to figure out what the next big thing was going to be. Um, I had a pretty good slap in the face around 2009. Uh, I graduated. I got my degree. I was ready to take on the world. And I went into the financial planning game. And that was when the global financial crisis was kind of like rippling out to Australia. And I just could not get a job. So I ended up uh, working as a construction laborer on job sites. And here's me thinking I'm like this super smart guy that's got it all figured out. 
and I'm out there, you know, lugging around bricks and doing my thing. It was great exercise. It was a great job, but um, that was, you know, my first foray into the real world. So, yeah, um, then hustled up and got into direct sales, was one of those guys that would call you on the phone while you were eating dinner and try and sell you life insurance or credit card insurance. <laughs> um, did that for a little while and then got moved into a team leader role. And ever since then, I've always enjoyed, you know, managing and building teams of people and, you know, driving them towards a, a result. Now, when you were doing kind of that cold calling stuff, selling insurance, um, things like that, um, was that difficult? Was it fun? What, what do you like? What were kind of your memories of the time characterized by that? Oh, dude, that was like the hardest time of my life because, for one, I'm a terrible salesperson. And <laughs> I have a friend who worked with me who was a really good salesperson, and he would just laugh. He would laugh at how I would approach calls. I would always like sell on cancellation, and I would have this thing. Where if you're selling an insurance policy, it's like a real no-no to like soft sell it and be like, well, you know, if you don't like it, you can always back out and everything else. So the way I would pitch this product is I'd say, you know, the way this product is structured is we've got like a, you know, X number of day guarantee. So if you don't like it, and I'd look over at him and he'd just be shaking his head at me going, this guy does not know how to close deals. Like he's got no idea. Um, and apart from that, you know, it is it is pretty rough when you're, on the phone, either getting you know yelled at or hung up on or whatever else. So I had a lot of empathy for anyone that is in that sales game. And there's also a guy in San Francisco called uh, Corporate Bro. Um, he creates a bunch of really funny content around people that are in San Francisco, you know, outbound sales. And I, I still watch that stuff today, and I laugh because it is hard. It is hard work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a definitely a kind of job that teaches you to embrace rejection. <laughs> I don't know if you ever fully can embrace rejection, man. It sometimes hurts too much. Like it hits you right in the heart. Yeah. If you get, say, you know, 10, 15 in a row, then it's like, oh my God, time for a break. I tell you, I tell you though, some of my favorite entrepreneurs to work with are the guys that have background in sales because they will just walk through walls to get what they want. So it's a really good kind of skill set to develop if you, you know, you're just starting out and you want to, you, you want to figure out like where you should launch off from sales is a great place to start but yeah you will you will have a hard time with it it is a rough a rough road yeah i would highly advise anyone who's considering doing their own thing one day um to get some sort of job selling something it doesn't have to be you know crazy direct outbound cold calls um but <laughs> man developing the sales skill set is so key to building your own business too and the funny thing is I still kind of suck at it. Like I'm really not a pushy person. And when I have clients that come in, I'm like, you know, whenever you're ready, you're ready and everything else. That's still something I'm working on to this day. But the principles, the principles are important, right? Being able to have some structure, being able to hold a conversation, ask good questions and, you know, take someone somewhere that they need to go. Absolutely. All right. Well, Alex, what was the first business or maybe even like side project of your own that you can remember kind of working on? Was it, you know, after this time that you were working in the call center or, or were you kind of jumping into WP curve days already? Oh, my first, my first hustle was actually when I was like 16 or 17 and I started a t-shirt company. Um, and this t-shirt company, I had like all of my friends driving around the town with, you know, stickers of the brand on the back of their car. And then this is in the days of like the jackass kind of CK, uh, CKY or whatever those guys were doing. And we would do like stupid stuff and then record it and post it. So I got a batch of t-shirts printed, which I think was maybe 20 or 30 shirts. And I sold all of them to all of my friends. 
And then I think I just like took the money and like went out partying for a couple of days and, you know, kind of forgot about it. So that was the, like the initial business, which was like, like it was a, it was a horrible, like a horrible outcome as far as like embezzling all of the profits into beer and, you know, nights out, but it was so much fun. It was really fun to build the community. Well, you've come a long way since then. <laughs> I hope so. I, hope so. I, don't drink, I don't drink anymore, so that's not a risk. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about uh, the company that you co-founded, WP Curve, which um, for those listening here today that aren't yet familiar with it, um, premium support service for WordPress where you can pay basically a flat monthly fee and you get access to um, talented WordPress developers for unlimited small jobs related to your website. So you know, what was the original vision for the company back when you guys were first starting to work on it in 2013? Yeah, it was interesting. So my co-founder, Dan, he had started the company a couple of weeks before I joined. And he, had a, he was in a position where he either needed to, you know, go back and get a full-time job uh, because he'd burned through a lot of money that he'd had from his previous company sale or figure out something that would stick and, you know, was scalable and could be built into a real business. So the timing was so that I was in the U.S., um, I just moved out to the US with my wife and I had a 90-day window where I was kind of on the bench and unable to work um, because of the uh, the employment authorization card that I needed. So I reached out to Dan and he was just getting started on what was called WP Live Ninja back in the day. And I said, hey, you know, I think I could partner up with you on this thing. I think I could bring a lot to the table as far as, you know, operations and building teams and, you know, some of the, the sales stuff, even though I wasn't that great at it. Um, let's work together for 90 days. I don't expect any equity. I don't even expect any compensation because I'm already going to you know, be filling up this time. And then at the end of three months, let's review and you know we'll see where we are. So that was kind of the genesis of the, I guess, the partnership. But the reason that I got involved in it at the start was that I'd felt the pain of dealing with WordPress. Um, I was horrible at using WordPress. I still am to this day. It still frustrates me. I still have a developer to help me out. And anytime I'd get into the WordPress site to change anything, it'd end up looking worse off than what I'd started. So I figured, okay, I'm half smart with technology. There's probably about a thousand people that would have this same problem. You know, if you look at it pretty simply, if you're charging them 80 bucks a month, that's a million dollar a year business. Um, figure out how to, you know, do it in a scalable manner with some profit margin. And that was the, you know, the early decision that I looked at to say, hey, is this a viable, you know, a viable company and a viable startup? And ultimately, you know, that proved true, but there was a lot of ups and downs to get to the, the sale to go daddy. Do you remember who your first paying customer was back in those days? Was it, you know, was there already a few customers on board when you joined your co-founder? So the first, the first paying customer is a guy by the name of Damien Thompson. And he was, hmm. you know, a, a good friend of uh, Dan, my co-founder. And, you know, he stuck around through all of the ups and downs. And then the first customer that I ever sold to was a guy by the name of Steve Fuster. And I was doing live chat from um, my parent-in-law's you know, uh, kitchen table and I was talking to this guy and he needed support for two sites and I was freaking out because this is before Stripe. So I'm like, do I start a you know, new PayPal button and you know, what do we do here? And I'm like chatting to Dan about it and trying to get it all set up. And ultimately, you know, we got him onto a two-site subscription and he hung around for at least, it would be at least like a, I think 12 or 18 months. He was a really loyal customer. Um, and I still remember that day where I was sitting there. It's just such a good feeling to like sell that first customer because then you're like, wow, this is real. Yeah. Like I can do this again and hopefully again and some more after that. 
So when you were at the end of this three month period, kind of your, your trial of whether or not you want to continue on with this, um, what made you stick with, you know, staying with the business in, instead of like going out and landing a job once you got the, the right visa paperwork here in the U S I was really enjoying it. Like I was really enjoying the work. Um, we'd, I'm trying to remember where we were at in terms of revenue after three months. I don't think we were doing, maybe we were doing like five or six grand a month in revenue. So I would, Grown pretty steadily from the time that I joined, but I was starting to feel like there was some some momentum, and not only momentum in the business, but also momentum in the WordPress space because WordPress powered at that time about twenty percent of the net. I think it's up around thirty percent of the net today. So, like the underlying market was growing really, really well. It wasn't getting any less complex to you know build a WordPress site. So all of these, like, I guess, market indicators are pointing in the right direction. But then also, like, we're starting to land. I think I landed my co-founder, Dan. He got an article published on, like, WP Engine. Um, we, had, we got involved in a few different, you know, events and things um, and started to go out to market. And it was, like, being pretty well received. So we were really kind of riding high and starting to get some momentum and some traction. And we also already had a pretty significant audience um, you know, from the work that Dan had done in the in the past, which was to build a, a mailing list of, you know, a couple of thousand subscribers. So good groundswell and good kind of bones around the business. And it was more about just like staying focused and executing, which was, you know, it's always a challenge for any entrepreneur to just like do one thing and do it really, really well. Yeah. And you touched on a few things there that I really just want to kind of like pull out and highlight for, for everyone listening today. It's that, you know, you mentioned your co-founder, Dan, had already built an email list of people that were, you know, primed to be potential customers for this, right? They were, they were interested in WordPress and they had sort of this, um, you know, a hint at least of what this need could be for them as well. So uh, I love hearing these stories of, you know, people already having a community around their product before they release something. I love that. Yeah, and it was it was a really loyal community, and they were you know huge advocates of him, and that was actually how I met him, which was you know I was on his mailing list, and the the introduction that I made to partner up with him was a comment on one of his blog posts. So you know you can't understate the the importance of you know building that community, and also what that can mean to future ventures um, if you you know decide to jump into something else, because if you've got folks that are interested in you and interested in what you're doing. Uh, you know, they'll follow on. And I've seen that with folks that I work with today who, you know, were early either WP Curve customers or worked with me in some other capacity. And now I'm working with them as, you know, coaching clients or, you know, referring them to like referring them to people that are in my network. And these relationships are five and six years old now. Yeah, it really is kind of a long-term play when you're in business. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, would you say that looking back through kind of the the growth of WP Curve, you guys ran the company for, you know, essentially three years before GoDaddy acquired you guys. Were there any sort of marketing channels that really stick out as like being inflection points for the business or kind of was it more of a story of, you know, the community driving the growth? I think the content marketing that we did was really the, you know, the foundation of the growth. Um, and um, it was cool to see what you're working on with your content marketing stuff because, like the principles there were very consistent with what we were doing, which was adding a ton of value to the audience, you know, being available to them if they had a problem. And we became like, I guess, you know, front of mind for anyone that was struggling with WordPress. So in forums and communities, someone would say, I've got this WordPress issue. And then like three people would pile on and say, okay, you know, go and use WP Curve. They're really good. Or I've had a friend that's used them and has spoken highly of them. So that really works as far like the community and the content was 
you know, the, the, the foundation. Um, over time, what we started to see was when Dan would go on like significant like podcasts that had big audiences, we would get influxes of customers from those. Sometimes the customers weren't really a good fit because they were, you know, kind of starting their stuff out and they'd only need us for a month and then they kind of bounce. But those are two of the channels that, you know, were proven. And then there were a bunch of channels that we could have executed on that we didn't that I know that would have, you know, proven really fruitful. So, for example, um, anything in the like WordPress troubleshooting space, even though it seems really obvious and kind of boring and vanilla, um, there's a website out there called WP Beginner. That website does tens of thousands of hits, I'm sure, um, like a day or a month or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And all it is about is solving WordPress problems. And we could have stepped into that space and we didn't because we were more interested in, you know, online marketing and business growth. But that would be a, a very, very obvious and very boring, but a, like a wide open opportunity. And I, yeah. I say that because I think sometimes we forget what's right in front of us, you know, those really like simple things are usually the ones that are going to, you know, be super helpful. That's great advice. So fast forwarding a little bit, um, in 2016, you guys sold WP Curve to GoDaddy, uh, which is a massive company in this space. So how did that deal even begin to materialize? How do you get on the radar of someone that huge? Yeah, they were running, they were running a bit of a, like a process on their side because they knew that they wanted to get into the WordPress space. Uh, they knew it was a big opportunity as far as support went. And we were put side by side with a bunch of the other competitors that were we're out there operating. And I think the thing that's like helped us stand apart was the fact that we had scaled really quickly and they wanted something that they could bolt on that they'd be able to scale, uh, you know, in, or in, in the same kind of manner as they have with other products. So for a company like GoDaddy, they've got, I think today they've got 18 million customers. And when they come knocking on your door, you go, okay, like our business, it's going to, like, it's going to completely change, but we need to understand how we can actually scale. So a lot of the other providers that were in market at that time, you know, maybe they had five or six people on their team or, you know, they only did support as like kind of a side thing and they had other parts of their business that they were interested in where what we did was just WordPress support. We did it really quickly. We did it really well. And we could, we, like, we knew that we had a model that could scale. So when they came knocking on the door, the, like the, the simple questions they were asking us and I had to have really good answers for, well, what would this business look like at 10 times the scale? what would it look like at 20 times the scale? Um, and those are questions and problems that I had to solve when I took the team over in December. Yeah, that's a really uh, complex issue. What, so when you guys did sell the company, what happened with WP Curve? I know the website is still up, um, but how have things changed at least? Yeah, the website lives on, which I'm happy to, happy to see. So the blog's still there. Um, I think a lot of the sign-up stuff redirects to WP Premium Support, which is now the GoDaddy offering. Uh, what we needed to do because of the, I guess, because of solving for the scale at which we were going to operate at is I needed to rebuild the product. So took the team across, took the processes across, all the things that we'd learned. And in the background between uh, December and then February of the following year, 2017, um, I had to work with the team that was in, at GoDaddy to figure out how we could rebuild the product and do it in a scalable way. And it sounds pretty easy because it's like, oh, you've got a bunch of resources and you've got a big team and you've got all of that support. But when you're in a, a big company, there's a lot of departments, there's a lot of products and there's a lot of groups that you need to kind of interface with to make sure that customers don't get lost in the mix. So I had to 
really pushed very hard on focusing on what made WP Curve really good in the first place, which was, you know, being super responsive, having the, the dev team, you know, treat the customers basically like their grandma, which was something that was kind of funny. Like we came up with this customer profile, which was if, you know, if you've got a, a frustrated customer or they're like having a really hard time, just pretend and you're talking to your grandma because it helps you like break down the problem that you're solving and also, you know, be patient and not, you know, react and, and you know, uh, get frustrated with, with how they're feeling or get drawn into any of their issues. So, you know, I had to push really hard on that, but ultimately it meant changing up, changing up what the value prop was in some, at some level because we couldn't do, we couldn't offer unlimited at that scale um, because, you know, like we're talking like tens of thousands of customers versus what we had with, with the WP curve side of things. So we had to be smart about how we offered the service, how we fulfilled it, and then how we could scale the team in such a way where it wasn't linear with the revenue growth. Because if we were going to continue to grow the team at the same clip that revenue would grow at, which is a tra- like a, a trap I see a lot of productized service folks fall into, um, you know, you've got a pretty static profit margin. You don't get any economies of scale. And then, you know, it's just like a flat line of, of growth versus profit margin, which I was always being challenged. Hey, okay, so you've got this many headcount. How much revenue can can you support with that headcount? Which was a different way of you know solving solving that problem. I like that flipping that kind of equation upside down. And I want to keep talking about the productizing thing here because you you've recently kind of gone off. You left GoDaddy um, late last year. You're working on your new venture, Productize. Um, First of all, I guess, why did it feel like it was time to go back out on your own again? And then, you know, tell us about what Productize is today. Yeah, so I actually had done some coaching in 2015 and I've worked with a founder. Uh, his name's John Tucker and he runs a company called Helpflow. And he wanted to do like the WP Curve for live chat. So I worked with John for about five months and we got that company up and running and it's still doing really, really well today. I'm actually heading down to San Diego and I'm hoping he's going to buy me dinner. Um, but I did that, you know, kind of pro bono because I was just really enjoying the time. And then in 2017, uh, Jake Jorgovan hit me up and said, Hey, can we work together? And I'd be interested in, you know, being coached by you. And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm really busy. I got a bunch of stuff going on, but we ended up working together and I just had a ton of fun doing it. I really like getting involved in companies, uh, not even companies, just with founders that, you know, have drive and uh, understanding like why they want to do what they want to do. So I get very energized by it. And to be able to talk to entrepreneurs and help them solve their problems and get paid for it, it does not feel like work to me. And that's a really good sign because it means that, you know, at times I've jumped out of bed at four in the morning to take a call with a client that's on the other side of the world. And I'm ready to go. Like I'm pumped up. There's no hesitation. There's no like, oh, I got to go to work today. Uh, I really enjoy it. And that was something that I was kind of looking for for a long time through my work. Um, and ultimately, like doing the coaching stuff became the thing that you know was was really interesting and exciting to me. And that, that just it kind of made its way to me. So I was fortunate in that sense. And uh, now I get great. paid. Yeah, now I get paid to talk to entrepreneurs all day. <laughs> That sounds like a pretty great job. It's awesome, man. I can't tell you how much fun it is. And I, I also get to see businesses and people grow, but without having to carry all of the stress, like the stress and the burden that comes along with that. Um, and I'm, I'm there for people when they have those hard times. So it's, uh, yeah, it's really fun stuff. 
Can you give us some examples or maybe even ideas for productized services? Um, because I love this concept myself too. This is something I actually, I tinkered around with for a few months and decided it was going to be too much work for me. Um, but basically kind of a productized content marketing services. So could you just kind of like further explain what, what exactly a productized service business is? And then if you have some kind of, you know, fun ideas for people out there considering, you know, maybe doing this route themselves. Yeah, definitely. And I want to talk to you about the content marketing service because I've seen a few productized services in the copywriting space that haven't been able to get traction. I think there is a, like, where there's a will, there's a way and you've got to look at the model a bunch of different ways to make it happen. Um, So maybe that's a side call. But as far as productizing goes, at least for folks that maybe are in your position that have, you know, a great individual contributors or have got a, you know, a big audience or they've got... um, you know, they've got the skills, but they need to, they want to scale and they don't want to be doing all of the heavy lifting. Um, part of the things, or part of what I look at is, can you build a team around the process that you're going to implement? So for WP Curve, I needed to be very simple and very discrete tasks that the team could pick up, you know, action and then send out to customers and they could own the whole process. Um, I like if, if we were doing something like a custom design or a project basis or something else, then it would just break. So being able to carve up the, you know, the, the end product into something that's small enough and, I don't know, like manageable enough for a, a team to be able to do is, is part of the challenge of productizing. And it's something that you know, individual contributors run into a lot because they are the experts in their field and they've got their own approach and method and polish and you know, skills that they bring into the mix. And it's a different mindset to go, okay, I need to build, build a team of people that can execute this and not only execute it, uh, you know, in a predictable and repeatable fashion, but execute it without me being involved at all. So that's another thing that I look for, which is being able to actually like scale yourself out of delivery and out of the business, which takes a couple of months to get to, but that's where you get the real lift from having a productized service, which is, you know, you've got a team of people that are executing on something on your behalf. You're getting the revenue in, you're getting the profit in, and then you're also building an asset, which is like another benefit off the back of, uh, you know, spending, because you're going to be doing the work anyway, right? Like you're still going to be building something anyway. You're going to be like spending 40 or 50 hours a week building this thing. So you might as well build something that is an asset at the end of the day that someone can come along and buy. Um, an idea that I think is wide open for anyone to go and do, and I've held on to this one for a little while and I've talked talk to a few people that are, you know, thinking about doing it, but uh, a productized service for Salesforce support. So anyone to use Salesforce probably knows that it's a CRM that is a nightmare and there's always like sales ops people that are probably like screaming at their computer <laughs> to, you know, fix the, fix the fields or the tags or whatever it is. I don't know how Salesforce works, but I just know that people get really frustrated with it. Um, they, people pay tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for Salesforce implementations and there are con- like as a huge consulting kind of back end to it. I don't know if the like if a product or service exists for that, but if someone had the will to go and build one, I'm sure it'd be an easy couple million dollar business to stand up. Yeah, I would second that. I've worked with a couple of different CRM companies, um, kind of as a freelancer, even for full time gigs, and so I'm very familiar with that space. And I, I would I would say that's definitely a need. Um, but yeah, the w- one thing I wanted to ask you about, Alex, um, was. I find that, you know, as, as someone who has been primarily kind of a freelancer with a lot of my side projects over the past, you know, five, six years, that there's a big difference between what you charge as a freelancer versus what makes sense for a business once you 
try and decide to productize your service and kind of like bring other people in and step into more of like a managing the business role, less delivering, you know, the actual service yourself. So are, are there any like hard and fast rules you find that you're kind of recommending to people when it comes to how to decide what to charge for a productized service based on, you know, what you may be charging yourself as like the individual contributor right now? Yeah, I think I think we're serial undercharges, like entrepreneurs in my experience are serial undercharges. So as an example, when John came to me with Helpflow in 2015, he wanted to do WP Curve for live chat. And he was, I think, talking about doing like 99 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month or something like that um, as the price point. And you could absolutely run the business like that. But what we got to was figuring out who the appropriate customer was for that service and then figuring out how to define value in their terms. So what he ended up doing was going to folks that had big ticket items, uh, you know, maybe in the e-commerce space or selling other things that were high order values and saying, hey, I've got a team of people that will increase your conversion rate. Like overall will increase your conversion rate and that will bring in, you know, X thousand dollars of revenue a month. And then when you do that and you say, okay, this is the value that's quantified, on the other side of that, you can go, well, you know, to, to unlock that value, we, we price at you know, this point. And that can lead to a 10 or a 20x increase in the amount you're able to charge with only a few kind of tweaks on the back end to make sure that the service delivery is you know, at the standard that they expect. So it might be like a high traffic site or it might be mm-hmm. you know, they need really quick turnaround or a little bit more detail in the responses or whatever else it is. But that steers, that kind of steers the conversation. So as far as it goes for you know, uh, a consultant going into productizing, you kind of point yourself a little bit further up market to customers that um, are willing and comfortable in paying for your service. And I did the same thing with coaching. So like clients that I work with, they don't even, they won't even like blink at a, um, you know, at a particular like retainer because if, you know, they're going through an acquisition that's worth, you know, seven or eight figures to them and they've got someone that they can call on and, you know, have that help, they don't even worry about it. So it's the same kind of thing, like understanding what the value is that you're providing and like really honing in on that and being able to, you know, articulate it in their terms, whether it's, you know, traffic growth or it's an increase in sales or revenue or something else that helps to accelerate like where you can position yourself and create more margin in the business. So it doesn't have to be like time and materials and then you get like a 30, 30% profit margin. You can go 60, 70% if you want to be smart about it. I love that that sort of mindset shift around it too. I was just going to say there's one person yeah. in the content marketing space who did this really well and her name is Ratika. Uh, she runs a company called Story Hackers. And I know that she went out to market to work with companies like LinkedIn and the other kind of folks. And she built a, a really successful consulting business off just pointing out market. Man, big sales process with, uh, with those large kind of enterprise size companies though too. That was a learning for myself uh, as well. Oh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, for getting close to the end of our conversation here, I wanted to ask you uh, one final question. Um, what would you say has been the best investment you've ever personally made in the context of growing your business? And this could be in the form of time, money, tools, products, services, or otherwise. Yeah. There's a guy by the name of Brian Balfour. He's based in San Francisco and he runs a program called Reforge. Um, and I've done like a bunch of different courses and read a bunch of different books um, I would say that Brian's Reforge program is probably the most advanced as far as it goes for like growing a company. Um, and I felt like I got, you know, 10x or 20x return on my investment for doing the course that he 
um, that he has. And it's very selective too. So you need to have some experience in growth or you need to be in marketing or something else like that. And it's got a great cohort of people. But, you know, he would have people like, you know, early folks from Dropbox or Andrew Chen or whatever get on the calls and talk through, you know, specific examples of how these companies grow. And I, like, hugely recommend uh, Reforge to anyone that wants to grow a company. I love that. Invest in yourself. Big time. All right, Alex. Well, thank you for joining us. Can you tell everyone listening today where they can go to learn more about you, Productize, and everything else that you're up to? Yeah, my, my website is productize.co. That's P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-Z-E.co. Um, if you are working on a business, if you're getting stuck on something, or if you just want to chat, you can also email me at alex at productize.co. Happy to take any questions or you know help you through any problems that you're having. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. Right on. Thanks, man. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.